Friends, if you have your Bible in hand, I'd invite you to turn, well, no, there's not one passage we're going to be with. I invite you to limber up your hands. There's a number of passages we're going to be looking at today. We are in the Life Builder series, and each week we begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writing to his problem children, the church in Corinth, the church that we relate to most readily because of all of the issues and problems they encounter are very familiar to us. And the Apostle Paul encourages them, just as uh, Paul and ministers build upon the foundation of faith in Christ in their teaching, that each one of us should be careful in building our lives. You are a temple of God's Spirit. Uh, you're a life of a follower of Jesus, uh, born into Christ to resemble Him more day by day. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 reminds us, Paul writes, By the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. We are warned in this passage to be careful how we build. And so each week we talk about fundamental things and issues and areas of the Christian life that are keystones to growing up and maturing to be more like Jesus day by day. If we leave even one of them out, we will suffer in our walk with Christ. And so each one is important. We have looked at everything from spiritual warfare for uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives uh, the blessed assurance that each one of us, we've even focused on that foundation that is key, and that's faith in Jesus, being born again, uh, giving your heart to Christ as a follower of Jesus, that once and for all relationship that you build with him. Well, today I've left a fundamental thing until today. We're six weeks <clears throat> into this series, and as we've gone into God's word each week, we have been blessed by the teaching of his word, the Bible. So it only stands to reason that today, the Bible itself is going to be our focus, the fundamental part in our life it needs to play. I call today's past, uh, message, The Living Word. The Living Word. The Living Word, and it's appropriate that this is February 14th, Valentine's Day, St. Valentine's Day, because the Bible is a precious book. It's a love letter of God to you. Now, do you, you, some of us may have to cast our minds way back. This is before the message you got from your loved one was a brief text. And if you were lucky, it had a smoochy emoji or something that went with it. This was back when we used to put pen to paper and write love letters. Now, I'm old enough. <laughs> I'm old enough. We would take our clay tablets in hand and our stylus and... <clears throat> not that old, we would take our pen and paper and we would write. And my wife, what a faithful writer of letters. I think for every three to five letters she wrote me as I was down as a as a young man in, in the Bay Area in California and she was up here in Alberta. Uh, for every three to five letters I received, and they were precious to me, I would work through one maybe and get it back to her. She still has all those letters. And from time to time, she threatens me that she's going to take them out and read them out loud, which just makes my toes curl in embarrassment. You know, I'm sure they're wonderful, but I don't want to hear them. I say, you know. and, and in fact, you know, I think that's in our will that they have to be destroyed upon our deaths, you know. so. But uh, love letters are precious. Do you remember getting them? 
You didn't want anyone else around. You would go to a quiet place. You would close the door and you would read it. And you wouldn't just read it and toss it away. You would fold it and put it back. And you take it out of the envelope and you would read it again and again. Because the words of your loved one were so precious to you. We celebrate that love on Valentine's Day. We celebrate love because true love is from God. God who is love. Just a reminder that the Bible is a love note from God. I have a brief video before we continue just to remind us of that and see how the Bible's a love note from God. Let's look at that right now. reminder the Bible really is like a love letter from God to you may it be precious to us as our notes and letters from our loved ones are to us I like to be reminded from time to time from other voices Christians from the past and so as you as you know me as the way I speak and teach in public I love quotes from people who have been teachers to me from their writings Thinking of the Bible and uh, the God meant it for each one of you. When the Bible was composed, God had you in mind. Uh, Saint Saint Augustine, Augustine of Hippo. He was a, a Christian in North Africa years ago, and I have a quote from him. Augustine said, "The Holy Scriptures are our letters from home." Isn't that wonderful? Don't you want to receive when you were abroad you are in a distant land there's nothing better than a letter from home to connect you and root you to those who care about you and who you really are well that's what the bible is for christians this world is not our home we are travelers sojourning in this land we have a home in heaven and the bible is our letters from home that's a wonderful thought 
I want to talk about what the Bible is, the amazing book that God has given us in, in just uh, uh, the time we have remaining this morning. The first point I want to make is that the Bible is like no other book. No other book. I love books. The name for that, interestingly enough, is bibliophile. You love books because Bible, biblios in Greek, simply means the book. And where the Bible is not a book, I believe it is the book. Because it's written by a living God. And his words are also living and they're powerful and they change you and they do so much. This is not like any other book. It's a living book. In that powerful Isaiah chapter 40 chapter where the focus of Isaiah turns to the comfort of those returning from captivity. In chapter 40 of Isaiah, in verse 6, the prophet writes, A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass. And their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. The Bible stands forever. And that's one way it's not like any other book. Other books come into fashion, they fall out of fashion, they speak to people of a certain generation, they connect, and then their time is done. Even the great classics, if you, like me, have ever tried to read uh, Bunyan's classic Christian book for years after the Bible, it was the second most printed book in the English language. For all, all I know, it might still be. But you try to read Pilgrim's Progress as it was written, it is hard going. Not only is the language antiquated and hard to understand, but the whole thing feels foreign to us. It just doesn't connect. It's got some good teaching there, but you almost need to translate it into our understanding and our culture. Not so the Bible. If you have the Bible in language that you understand and comprehend, it is fresh and new and powerful. The little picture in the corner of the screen, I put it there for a reason. Years ago, I remember the very first time I was in Jerusalem and I went to the Museum of Israel, the great museum across the street from their parliament, the Knesset. And outside of the main building, there is the shrine of the book. You know it because the top of it looks like a giant lid for a clay jar because inside clay jars by the Dead Sea were found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Many of those scrolls included our oldest existing copies of Old Testament books. And one of those, the greatest of those scrolls, was called the Great Isaiah Scroll. I expected it to be a giant scroll like one of the big Torah scrolls you see them carrying. But the Isaiah Scroll, it's only about that tall. You know, it was a little scroll rolled out. But you roll it all the way out and it's many, many feet long and they wrap it around the central part of the building and you walk along and you look at that. And the Isaiah scroll was important because we saw that the Bible didn't change over the years with many people copying it. It was still the same. The book of Isaiah was so true to what we have in our Bibles today. But that ancient scroll written on vellum, which is animal hide with ancient ink, well, that technology of writing in that time, that's so old-fashioned. 
And yet the words from that scroll translated in English today can still save you and change your heart. They're fresh and new. You carry it on your newest iPhone, your Android device, your, your tablet, whatever. The technology changes, but the word of God stands. It's forever. Just as God is eternal, his word is true and eternal. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. It's like no other book. Not only does it last, is it forever, but it's powerful and it's living. This next passage from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, we know it well, and I've given it this passage gives its name to the whole message today, the living word. Because speaking of God's word, the author of Hebrews says, for the word of God, and the Bible is unique because of all books, it's a self-aware book. It's alive, and it knows itself. And when the Bible speaks of itself, it speaks truth. And it says of itself, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. The Bible is powerful. It's living. Only the word of God can truly reach into the human heart and do heart surgery. Change our attitudes. Change our way of thinking, which leads to our way of acting, which is rooted in who we are. The Bible can do that. No other words can. The words of the most well-meaning counselor, the words of Dr. Phil, the words of humans can't do that. They can be helpful for a season, but not like the word of God. It has a special power because it moves from God's heart to your heart. And in doing so, it can change you. What a book. If you only have one book, that's the book you need. It reminds me, years ago I saw a play in Vancouver called The Man from Aldersgate. And it was a one-man show, a famous English actor who had been doing the same play for decades. He had performed in front of the Queen and Prince Philip. He was famous for this play. He started out doing the play when he was young and he would put on makeup to play an old man. But as he got older, he grew into the role. And I saw him in later years, and he was the living embodiment of the great reformer and preacher, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. And I remember one speech, and all of the words of the play were taken from Wesley's diaries, his journals. And speaking of reading books, he loved to read. He rode on horseback over 250,000 miles. And he never rode, if the weather was good, he never rode without a book. His horse always rode without reins because Wesley would be sitting reading a book on horseback. But he said, of all the books he read, give him one book. I have a quote from Wesley. He said, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, and how to land safely on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. I love that. 
He was widely and deeply read as a man. But Wesley was a man of one book. I look at our lives. What we feed our hearts and minds on. We dally here. We graze all the wisdom of man. And all too often, the followers of Jesus are not people of the book. And if that's the case, we do so at our detriment. Not only is the Bible like no other book, I don't have to convince you of that. It is powerful, it is purposeful. God says that if his word goes out, it never comes back to him empty without accomplishing its purpose. And I believe the purpose of God's book, in large part, is to transform us. The Bible is transformative truth. You go in the pages of the Bible, it's a story of man's relationship with God. The big questions. Who are we? Why are we? Where did we come from? What our problem is, the sin problem. And throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it's the answer to the sin problem. Sin which leads to death and all the pain in this world. It's the story of God's great rescue mission centered around His Son, Jesus. Whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Orient yourself, look at that salvation road, look for the direction God's going, and follow Him there. The transformative truth of the Bible. In 2 Timothy, it's a powerful passage concerning the Scripture. As I said, the Bible is a self-aware book. It speaks of itself. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul, writing to his, his, his student, Timothy, Paul was Timothy's mentor. He was his father in the faith. And he talks to Timothy about what they as ministers in that ancient hostile Roman world go through. He said, in part, our lot in life is is hard. has a lot of persecution in it. And Paul talks about the rough parts of his ministry. But then turning to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. And have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So that no man of God may be so that the man of God, rather, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible saves us. We learn salvation. We learn the word, the word and work of Jesus in Scripture. It makes us wise for salvation. That it's not religion that saves us. It's not good works that save us. It's only Jesus' death on the cross. And giving your heart to Him in faith. Believing in Jesus alone and what He did for our salvation. And then it grows us. It builds us up. It prunes away those things that are going to hold us back. Correcting and rebuking. But then it trains us and equips us for ministry. It's also your toolbox for what you face every day as a follower of Jesus. It does so much for God's people. The book of Psalms says not only are we saved and equipped by the Bible, but I love Psalm 1. 
Many people don't know many of the Psalms. They'll know Psalm 23. They'll know the long Psalm. But Psalm 1 is also a favorite of people of faith over the years. The first three verses are powerful. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The Bible says that when you meditate on God's word, you don't embrace and absorb the values of this sinful world. That's what it's talking about, the seed of the scoffers, those who laugh about morality and the things of God and the things that are good, that turn the world upside down, calling right wrong and wrong right. That's not where you live. That's not your address. You're rooted in God's word. And when you are, it says your roots will go deep and you'll be like a, a tree by a stream. A stream, it's got year, uh, years where there's lots of water, it's high, or the stream can be very dry. But the trees by the stream, their roots go down where the water never fails. God's people have endurance. We last when we're rooted in God's word. That's where we take our cue from. And we need all the Bible. I know it's easy. If you look at my Bible, the New Testament, oh, it's way more worn out than the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, the Pentateuch, some books are way more worn out than others. You know, the minor prophets, hey, some of those are quite new. But friends, you need the whole Bible. That's why one of my favorite parts of a common devotion book we use as a church, Daily Bread, it's not always the little the little daily devotions. Those are cute. They're little daily illustrations to get us thinking in the right direction. But if you look on that page, it'll have daily reading plans. It's just to whet your appetite. That little devotional is just to, it's like a hors d'oeuvre. It's just to get your mouth ready to have a good meal. And that's what we need. One of the great Christian authors of the last century was a man named A.W. Tozer. And Tozer, speaking of the Bible, said this. He said, The word of God, well understood and religiously obeyed, is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And he's talking about becoming more like Jesus, not being some perfect creature that the world doesn't have today. He says, growing up to be like Jesus. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. <laughs> and that's true. Nothing less than the whole Bible can make a whole, a whole Christian. I know I've met Christians, we tend, to, we tend to do that. We tend to cherry pick. We tend to focus on those passages that, that connect with us. And sometimes we go to extremes. For example... I've known people who the only thing they want to know from Scripture is the passages that speak of love. Love one another. And there's lots of them. The fact, and that's rooted in good biblical teaching because the Bible teaches that God is love and what that love truly is and how we can live it out. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is our favorite passage. Oh, love, love, love. 
but they're very uncomfortable around passages that speak of God's holiness and sin and repentance and the fact that we all will stand before God and be judged one day. The passages that speak of a holy God is like a consuming fire. They don't want anything to do with that. Just the passages on love. Well, there's other Christians. Don't give me that love, that gooey love stuff. I'm about the holiness of God. Their Bibles tend to be much more worn in the Old Testament. Old Testament religion. And these people, they're all about the holiness of God. And love just, they downplay it. And they tell, I've had people across the lunch table tell me, I'm about the holiness of God. Don't you preach love, love, love. I want God's holiness, the justice, the judgment of God. Well, friends, you know the whole Bible. You need both of those. You need to take sin seriously. You need to know the good news, or the bad news rather, and embrace it and, and, and apply it to yourself and own up to your sin before you can experience the good news. You don't come to the gospel by saying, yeah, I'm not so bad. There's people worse than me. <laughs> we all say that sometime, but we shouldn't. You can have people that it's all about love. And how does that turn out in their daily lives? Well, they're very pleasant to be around. They're very accepting. They're very inclusive. And they lovingly allow their friends and family and neighbors to go to hell for all eternity with a smile on their face and a hug ready for anybody. Or you can be the holy, holy, holy. None of this love stuff. And you will be a brittle, judgmental, legalistic person, very happy with your own righteousness. And again, your friends and family and neighbors will be pushed away from the good news because the love of Christ won't be found in you. You see those caricatures, they're extremes, but we have to avoid that. We need to bring the whole counsel of God together. And you can only do that as you know the whole word of God. That's why he gives it to us from front to back. It's all important for us. And one of the ways it's important, the next point is that the Bible is necessary to mature. It's necessary for maturation. Just as we think of what do our kids need to grow? What do they need to eat? What healthy food gives them Strong bodies, strong bones, you know, the, the Canada Food Group Guide. All of that is for maturation. We don't want them to stay little. We want them to, to grow up. They can't stay babies. Oh, if they could genetically engineer, <laughs> I'm not throwing down that they should, but if they could gen engineer a puppy, a dog that was born and stayed a puppy, wouldn't that be awesome? Well, if you could maybe housebreak them, but they still, with those short snouts, there is nothing. You don't need, need to like a dog to love puppies. But they can't. they got to grow up. Maturation is the way of the world, and it's what God expects for his children as well. He wants us to grow up. Now, the Bible says that when Christians neglect the word of God, when they don't feed on it regularly, when they hear it once a week, 
referenced in a sermon, but they don't ever go to God's dining table, the Word of God. They don't mature. They just don't. They just don't. We can be old in the faith. I've known many of us who, and I think I've probably been a Christian over 50 years now, but that doesn't mean I'm mature spiritually. There are a lot of people old in the faith, but not mature as believers. And that breaks God's heart. We've got to understand that. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 5, writing to Hebrew Christians who were struggling with maturity. In fact, they were considering throwing Christianity overboard and just going back to being good old Jews because there was a lot less persecution. The author writes in chapter 5, verse 11, I'll start a little earlier than what's on the screen. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Did you get that? Solid food, the meat of God's word, is only gained through constant use. You only get the teeth, your permanent teeth, by using God's word regularly. You're not only in God's word, but God's word is in you. Through reading, remembering, memorizing, the Holy Spirit has the word of God at your fingertips. It's once been said that you forget, and with me I'm sure it's higher, you forget 90% of everything you hear. You know, when when your spouse is telling you all the jobs that you need to get done around the house, I think the percentage is probably higher. But you forget 90% of what you hear. But you remember 100% of what you memorize. And that little saying, true, obviously true, but... It's so important to commit some of God's word to memory. We can't, well, we could, because in in Jesus' time, the Pharisees were famous because they memorized the whole Old Testament. They committed it all to memory. They didn't have to have it written down. They carried it around in their minds. But we need God's word in us, not just to be in God's word, but have God's word in us as well. The Apostle Paul, in a similar passage uh, to that blessed church in Corinth, the reason that we even have the Life Builder series is because they were immature and Paul was giving them God's antidote for immaturity. Because earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a little above our, our theme verse, that chapter begins by Paul writing, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Just mere men. He means like average sinful human beings, who we all are before we know Jesus. He says, God expects more now because you're his children. You're in the family of God. Don't act in the flesh as mere men. 
The Bible changes. When you come to it as a child, you understand as a child, you know Noah's Ark, God's promises, you're eased into it. But friends, as you take up residence there and live there, your understanding widens and deepens. As Charles Spurgeon said, and it's powerful but true, he said, nobody ever outgrows Scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. I remember, well, I only have two grandsons. So I'm not going to use the name, but you'll know who I'm talking about because the other one just turned one. I have a grandson. I was reading bedtime stories with him, and we had a bedtime Bible book. And, you know, we got through it, all the exciting stories of the Bible. We got to the end. Well, closed it up, put it away. I said, well, that that's for bedtime. Oh, no, I read that. I'm done. And he had this idea that the Bible, you just needed that. That's just, you had to go through one time. He's a smart kid. He had it all down. (laughs) I try to dissuade him of that. You know, you need it every day. Constant use. Because the Bible remains the same, but you'll change in your ability to understand and comprehend. And there's not an issue or a situation you're going to come across your path in life that the Bible will not address. The principles taught there revealed to you by God's Spirit. Now, teachers like Pastor Allen, the good teachers who write books, they're helpful. They have insight. But you need the Holy Spirit as your teacher. You need to be in God's Word and say, Lord, teach me from this. And let Him apply His Word to your heart. It's so necessary to grow up, to have a good diet. And finally... I talked about just now God applying words because that's what the Bible really needs to be effective in our lives. The Bible must be applied. Some of you may have wondered what church you were watching today because the platform looks so different, so beautiful and modern. We're still Baptist. The baptistry's still there. It just has a facade, a beautiful facade in front of it that can be easily removed for baptismal Sundays. There's beautiful fresh coat of paint but you know that paint if you buy it and I've bought paint before I bought lots of paint and it stays in the can what use is it (laughs) I have right now I don't know how many colors of paint in my basement some I keep because you'll need it for touch up but other paint I've ordered too much or I, I just have cans of paint what good are they they serve no purpose the Bible in the pages That's one thing. The Bible in your mind, that's another thing. But the Bible applied to your life is what God wants. He wants it and he intends it to be lived out. It's not biblical trivia. It's your course in life that God wants you to set. One of the most amazing and powerful passages that speak of the application of Scripture is found in the book of James, Jesus' half-brother. Now remember, James is Jewish. And he's the head of the church in Jerusalem when he writes this book. And he's writing to Jewish believers whose opponents are the Pharisees. The same people on the Sanhedrin that were Jesus' greatest enemies and had him put to death. Remember, the Pharisees are also those men I mentioned who memorized the whole Bible. Now get that. Now what does James write to believers that set us apart from Pharisees? He says, 
in verse 22 of James 1, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. He'll be blessed in what he does because his path will be set by God's word. His desires will reflect God's desires for his life and the good of those around him. He says to constantly use it, to be in it, to apply it. And one way we can do that, Scripture speaks of not only reading it very quickly and going through it, or reading fast through the whole Bible, that's good, but the Bible says sometimes slow down. Think about what you've read or heard. Think about it. There's a word for that when you think on something. It's called ruminate on it. And ruminate is actually a biblical principle to meditate and ruminate on God's word. Jeremiah chapter 15 says in verse 16, the prophet speaking of God, when your words came, I ate them. They were my soul's joy. They were my joy and my heart's delight. I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. This is the sign of somebody who bears God's name. They receive the word of God. It's their food. Your word came and I ate them. <laughs> Ruminate comes from that word what cows do to their cud. You know the cattle. They eat grass. They eat food that is incredibly hard to digest. So God in his wisdom gives ruminants who feed on grass, gives them very complicated stomachs, up to four chambers in the rumen stomach. In the first part, they'll eat that dry grass, basically mostly cellulose fiber, not a lot of nutrition in it. And it goes in that first part of their stomach, the reticulum, and they'll bloop, bring it back up. They'll bring it back up and they'll chew it some more. And they'll chew. I love the picture of that cow. I've actually, that cow has a name. Its name is Lulu. And there Lulu is chewing her cud in the sun with her eyes closed, looking completely content. Now that's the picture of what God's word should be to us. Something that in our heart and mind we chew on. We let it seep into us. And that way they break down that hard food and get the most out of it. Well, thinking and meditating on the word of God allows you to get every drop of goodness that God has for you in his word out of it. Ruminate on it. Chew on it. It's important for us in that way. But you say, Pastor, my life's too busy. I can, I can take the Bible with me on my phone and maybe for a few minutes at lunch I can, I can get a good time in or read a few verses, but you don't know the life I live. We're busy people in a busy world. Well, before COVID slowed us all right down. And I find that for most of us, the best time to do this and spend that quiet time in God's word, ruminating on it, it's in the morning. Some of you I know for a fact are not morning people. 
I was a night owl when I was young, but I married a I married an early bird. And so over the years, for survival's sake, you, you get up earlier and earlier and you become, you get in sync. But you have to spend time at the beginning of your day, I think, in God's word. It's the best time. If you need to set the alarm just a little bit earlier, it takes discipline. I know I'm asking for a lot. Spend the quiet time in God's word. And I base this not on my wisdom or human studies. I base it on Jesus' habit. He developed the habit of getting up before others and spending time with his father. Spending a quiet time with God. That's before you're... And why do it then? For instance, in Mark chapter 1. I love the fact they were just getting to know Jesus and his habits. And it says in Mark 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went looking for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody's looking for you. His busy day was waiting for him. But he knew that to be who God wanted him to be in that day, he needed to set his course with God in the morning. Think about that. Think about the old sailors under the stars in sailing ships. What did they do in the morning? (laughs) Did they just, best guess, just wing it? And then at the end of the day, they check their charts and they look at the stars and they think about it and they set their course? No, you need to do that early. You need to get in touch with God and hear from Him and set your course for the whole day. The sailors, they because they measured it by the sun, which is a star, and the other stars at night, they called it, their position was a celestial fix. And I think when you are in God's Word, that's a celestial fix that each one of us needs every day. And if we don't have it, we are going to notice it. We're going to suffer for not having it. Prepare for the day with God. Set your course, knowing what lies ahead, what struggles will lie with the Word of God. The final quote is from somebody very familiar to us. We heard him down in uh, Triennial in Florida a few years ago. He started his ministry as in our conference, North American Baptist, as a youth, a youth worker in Stockton, California. That's Francis Chan. And what does he say? He says, don't fall into the trap. Don't fall into the trap of studying the Bible without doing what it says. Friends, you have to apply it. It's so clear. Be doers of the word. You don't forget it. It becomes part of who you are as you live it out. The love of God, His truth, His word, his salvation path. It all will be lived out through you and you'll be a living Bible for those around you. I've often heard it said that many people that you cross paths with don't open the Bible. They may not even own a Bible. And you, as God's word is in you and lived out through you and shared by you, you're the only Bible they have. We have to ask the question today, what kind of messenger for God are we? Let's let God's Spirit, if we need conviction, Lord, convict me. If we need encouragement, Father, encourage me. But Lord, do it through your word. 
your living word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great gift of your word. Lord, even your precious son Jesus in the Gospel of John, he is called the Logos, the word of God. And Father, we see that Jesus, as your word, was instrumental even in creation as you spoke the world and all that is into being. It came through Jesus. Nothing was created except that which was created by Jesus. Father, may your word be precious to us. May it be food for our souls. Lord, if we're honest, there are many days where as your children we go hungry. Lord, how it would hurt the heart of a loving parent to see their children off to school, off to their day, gaunt, tired, and hungry. And yet, Lord, many of your children live their lives that way. How it must break a father's heart. Lord, may we feed on your word daily and not just know it as the Pharisees knew it. And by only living, knowing one thing and living another way, Lord Jesus branded them hypocrites. But Lord, knowing your word and doing it. As Jesus said, the wise man is the one who hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man who built his house on a rock. Lord, that's the lives we want for ourselves and our families. That's the people we want to be as we share your word in a relational way with those around us. Father, take your word, apply it to our hearts by your spirit. Bring the changes that need to be changed by your living and active word. Father, we embrace that promise today and we thank you for it. And we pray all of this in Jesus' loving name. Amen. God bless.